Good morning. You guys don't tell Rebecca I wore a tie today. She only, she hounds me about it, and uh, it's probably one of two times a year I typically wear a tie. It's whenever Dave's not here. So that way, if you're visiting with us, we're so happy to have you. So it doesn't look like the preacher is, uh, is a bum off the street. So I try to look presentable. Um, and this morning, I'd like to spend a little bit of time... Um, I was going to speak about morality, and then after talking to Ralph, I really want to talk about prayer today. I'm just kidding, Ralph. Just wanted to see you laugh. What I'd like to discuss for a few moments this morning, as we uh, open up the Bible together, is the moral compass. And where does that come from? Uh, there's a famous or infamous, however you'd like to describe him, um, natural biologist by the name of Richard Dawkins, who spent most of his recent career writing books trying to defame and disprove God and who God is, that the belief in religion is misplaced um, all the way around. However, he spends a lot of time focusing on Christianity and as time has gone on, he's gone on to publish books trying to point at a natural evolution into morality. That morality is just something that as we have evolved over time, we're able to create that as human beings. And he likes to, as many people would, that we run into if we talk about the Bible is, well, you look at the laws in the Bible, if, if someone has some type of uh, issue with themselves, if they um, cheat on their husband or wife, they should be stoned to death, you know? And a lot of people will like to look at the Old Testament as a guideline by which it is something that you could never follow. Uh, if you believe in God, you're barbaric, you're, you're simple-minded, you don't, have a, you don't look around and adapt with a societal measure. Um, and I find it very interesting that individuals that try to focus upon science claim to be scientists, spend so much time removing things from their contextual nature or their circumstances to simply try to prove a point when if you were to do that on the opposite end of the spectrum, that they would look at you and call you a science denier if we look at global warming issues, if we look at things in nature, and we point in, in an instance in time to try to disprove them, they will pull the same card on us. I think it's important to know both of these things. When he speaks out about, um, uh, he, had, he was in Business Insider, so not necessarily... Uh, a known publication that spends a lot of time on religion. However, Business Insider found it fitting to in 2015 to allow him even visual FaceTime doing an interview, um, which is still posted on their website, talking about why religion has nothing to do with morality. Um, in that he describes religious individuals as someone who are simply sucking up to an imaginary friend because of the threat of heaven or hell, 
that they would that that would be the only driving force to do what is good. He would much rather befriend an individual who does good just to do good. The the issue with this that I find personally is to take that statement to do good just to do good still leaves out the fact of who defines good. If you're an evolutionary biologist and you are a very dominant figure in defending Darwinistic evolution, coming from a single-celled organism to where we are today, where do you get to put the definition of what good is? Because it's a very free-flowing moment if we evolve over time. Good can be whatever we as a society all of a sudden decide we want it to be. And we've seen throughout history when individuals do this, some of our largest atrocities as, through human history are from this. Because someone else decided what good was. And so... I'd like to take a, a few minutes to look at some Old Testament and some New Testament as we hold up who defines good and that it is not something that we can free flow. That the moral compass does have a true direction. He also uses slavery as an example as to why Religion has nothing to do with our moral compass. And the fact that as we as a society simply deem that slavery needed to end. And so we came upon it and legislated it. And now slavery doesn't exist in, as far as his perspective is concerned. The problem with that is slavery does exist. There are more slaves in circulation today. Approximately 35 million people are in slavery today. That is more than from the founding of this country to the abolishment of slavery combined. Six million of those individuals are children. Operation Underground Railroad spends their time and effort. Uh, Tim Ballard, and, uh, who's the CEO of that organization, stated the numbers and the fact of he spends his time finding and hunting down traffic uh, individuals that traffic in children and uh, freeing the children and putting those and bringing those people to justice. As he used to work for the Home, Department of Homeland Security. There are more slaves in existence today. We have governments that say it's not right, but we still have individuals who do it and believe it to be right enough that they put their living into it. And while it might be something that we don't see in our faces every day, it still exists. We are in such a, sometimes we put ourselves in such a finite little petri dish of our society to forget about there are 7 billion people in the world. Where does the good come from? Where is that moral compass pointed? Who defines what good is? We can see in the wild, there's no other species that can differentiate good from evil. There's no other part of creation that has a consciousness that is able to decipher this. If you'd like to open up your Bibles and meet me in Genesis, 
will look at this. In Luke chapter 19, as Jesus making his entry in, and those around are praising him, Hosanna, the Pharisees look at him, telling him to rebuke those who are praising him. What does he say? If I silence them, the rocks will scream. Creation itself is speaking to the greatness of God. People who look at science, if we were off fractions of degrees away from the sun on a different axis, life does not exist. People look at Mars as if we should start colonizing, trying to terraform it, as if we have that capability. When we're talking fractions of degrees in different pitches in our evolution around the sun, that could completely eradicate the ability for life to exist. So does that put us simply in the state that we have two choices that we're sucking up to an imaginary friend because that's, it forces us to do good because we think there's a consequence at the end of the day? Or that we just do good for the sake of good? Reading from James, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil... Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you, but doers be but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perceives in it and perseveres in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in what he does from James chapter 1. We can see as we can, as when we get to the New Testament, the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecies and what was created. Taking things out of context is a fool's errand. Reading from Job, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it bursts from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? 
so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it. The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in its depths of its oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of earth? Tell me if you know this. Job is such a fascinating example of someone who perseveres and does good because of the boundaries set in place by God. And I, when I first read chapter 38, and as it continues from here, it is one of the most astonishing measures of God speaking to a man about what he did and what was created. God created a perfect world when he made it. And he gave man free will. And that allowance of free will is what allowed man to commit sin. So why would God create man if he knows he's going to sin against him? I like to simply say, because God can God made the decision to do so. He created perfection. He wanted to. And he wanted to because it would bring him glory. Even after man committed sin, he still made a pathway for his perfection. He did not simply destroy it and start over. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. God saw it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant. On the surface of the entire earth. And every tree whose fruit contains seed. This fruit will be for you. For all the wildlife of the earth. For every bird of the sky. And for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Evening came, and then the morning, the sixth day. God created perfection. What sets us apart from the single-celled organisms is much more than time. It's having the spiritual consciousness that we have. There is no amount 
of theoretical science that contradicts this. It's pretty simple. And the fact that to this day, with the amount of technology we've created, with the fact that I'm looking at a half-inch sliver of glass, that I can access information on boundless information. There's nothing that someone in the field of science will say that doesn't begin with the word theory because none of it is proven. So we look at the Old Testament morality. As many like to point out and say the fact that it is simply something that is barbaric. God says to stone and kill people to the amount of punishment involved, the circumstances of life, slavery. Well, we're given, if we go to Exodus and we're given the Mosaic Law, what do we see? We see severe penalties for what in today's society would be considered misdemeanors or not even illegal. We've evolved as a society. Cheating on your spouse is not punishable. What's the big deal? I made a different decision. I fell out of love. I'm going to move on with life. But what's good? So if we follow society evolution, does that then become good? When we look at this, and we look at Genesis chapter 3, the choice to disobey, the first choice to disobey... It's called sin. Sin is a separation from God. The separation from God brings death. What should the penalty for disobeying your creator, the one who gave you the breath of life in his own image, what, what should the punishment be for, for that disobedience? As God has shown us in his sovereignty, that's, that penalty is death. Even from there, God continues to provide a path. But what he created continues to disobey. He puts parameters in place. In Exodus, he's given a, we're given a law through Moses on Mount Sinai. In that moment, while that's happening, the people who were just led across the sea make the decision to disobey. Going to Aaron, telling him to build an idol to worship. As we're sitting in Judges, uh, Dave's class in the Sunday mornings, we're, get, we're shown disobedience and consequences. We look at the prophets. The prophets then set in place the continuation of God's plan. The continuation of the fact that there will be a culmination from that law that was given to the ultimate payment for our sin. Malachi chapter 3. See, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire and like cleansing lye. 
He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, but I, Yahweh, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So we get to the New Testament. We get to the arrival of the Son of God. The culmination of what God had promised. And as we look in Acts chapter 7... Acts chapter 7, as someone who, when first reading through Acts, I found it so amazing, the sermons that were provided for us and the history that they involved. Stephen spends time, a lot of time, pointing out the history of Israel, the failings, the continual circulation of failings, the cyclical nature of history. Next 7, verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors are unwilling to obey him. But pushed him away, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will, be, who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. The parameter of what was good was set. God had provided through that. And man turned away. It is not the other way around. Verse 45, our ancestors in turn received it and with Joshua brought it in in when they uh, uh, dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked if he might be, he might provide a dwelling place for God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my resting place? Did not my hands make all these things? God had created this and he created it in perfection. God would never allow man's sinful hands to create a true dwelling place for himself. God is without sin. 
God had to provide the way for man to come back. And as we look in 1 Corinthians, as we talk about the punishments of the disobedience, as we looked at the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law, the fierce penalties that were in place, without the fierceness of penalties, even in today's society, we still have individuals with capital punishment penalties committing those, law, committing those crimes. We have statistics beyond statistics to show it's illegal to go get intoxicated and get behind the wheel of a car. Yet we see the deaths year after year from instances in that manner. We can even look at statistics of just the tickets that are involved with that. We've, there are parameters in place. But man still has to make the choice. But what God did on Calvary was he made the payment when we are willing to make the right choice. And when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he speaks of the divisions, the adultery being put in place, he does not say, he does not pull the old law in, into place here. He puts in place, he tells the brethren what they need to do with that individual. And as we're looking at, and that's 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. I did not mean, excuse me, verse 9. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexual immoral, sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a verbally abused or drunkard or swindler, Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside, but God judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. As Paul differentiates here, he understands that we will have to come in contact with people in the world, which we were once like in sinful nature. He differentiates in the fact that those among who are claiming to be believers and then contradicting that statement. And it's one of the biggest things that we battle as Christians when we're looking at someone like Richard Dawkins who likes to point out the Old Testament and then will point to, well, this person, this preacher said that they did this and then they decided or it comes out that they were a sexual abuser. We look at denominations and as things have gone on, even in our recent history, that those individuals are the ones that pose some of the greatest stumbling blocks for us. We have to look at this with consistency. 
As we go back to Acts 7. As Stephen finishes his rebuking of the council. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. You have received it, yet you have not kept it. And we struggle with that today. But this is the boundaries that have been put in place by God. This is where we get our moral compass. Now we have the fulfillment of that old law in Jesus. In a way to live today. And it's only through the consistency of pointing that world compass to the true good, the true God, and the word that we're given, that we are able to look at individuals and be a shining light to those who may succumb to the one-liners, the pulling something out of context to say, well, the Bible says you should stone that guy because he's gay. Really, I'd love to study that with you. Because there's something called the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament of history and prophecy. And the New Testament of the fulfillment of that. And I'd love to talk to you about someone who actually already paid that price. As we've looked, history is in a cyclical pattern. Even as we look in recent history, continual world history... It is very cyclical because man as a whole is still based off the same creation. Man is still based off the singular creation of being created in the image of God with a consciousness to make choices. That has not changed. In 1 Corinthians 10. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us So that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did. And were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples. And they were written as a warning to us. On whom the ends of the ages have come. 
And we've seen through time, and we've seen through the Old Testament in and of itself, the continual cyclical nature of that. It's written for us as an example. Parameters were put in place. A moral compass was created. In closing, I was speaking with my mother the other day, and I have an appreciation as a parent of young children, as grandparents will graciously give advice on how to help rear a child and how to assist in raising them. And in speaking about that, she has met numerous times reiterated, you have to do the best you can. You have to do what you think is right. I did the best I could. I did what I thought was right. I did what I thought was right. Was something that stuck out to me. Genghis Khan did what he thought was right. Adolf Hitler did what he thought was right. Some of the largest atrocities in human history are done by individuals who believe they are right. It's not up to that individual to create what is right. It has been created for us. It is not something that can come through evolutional biology. And the reason I know that is because creation is the same as it was when God created it and the fact that animals still do not have the conscious capability that I have because they were not created in the image of God. So much of what Jesus taught was based on the foundation in one's heart. And without that firm foundation, people will shift based on the times that they're living in. They will change what they find acceptable if you continue to shift. It's only by looking at the word throughout its entirety throughout the examples provided for us and more important and the most important the example provided through Christ that we can see what that foundation of our heart should be that is how you can come to find out what is good you should always do your best and it is true you should do what is right it's not being good for the sake of being good but it's being righteous because we have that ability to achieve it through the righteous one again sin is separation from God and separation from God is death in Colossians 1 Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. If Paul, one who knew the Old Testament, knew the history and the prophecies, knowing that, persecuted Christians, and then could be shown the way, there is nothing hindering any of us from finding the moral right, finding the righteousness that God has provided for us. If you have not started that path, we have water prepared to be buried with Christ and risen again. If you have any of the prayers of the congregation, we ask you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing.